0: Dan and I have been married for over 41 years. He's a great dad and a wonderful grandfather. Through the years, I have had to share Dan with so many basketball fans, but now I'm so happy to get to share him with all the people at Bel Air Press. I hope you grow to love him just half as much as I do. Dan, I know you're speaking today, and I know you'll do a great job, as you always do Uh, you know, you're the best at what you've done. I don't think these people know how lucky they're going to be to listen to your sermons and uh, the background that you do have. Uh, you've influenced so many lives uh, throughout your career, and I wish I was there where I could be listening to you. You're one of the greatest basketball players in the history of the game, both at the NBA level, the ABA, as well as the college level at the University of Kentucky. Hey, Dan, wish I could be there. We're here at the beach, a spot you haven't been in your life with that wonderful tan you have. Um, I'm really happy things are going well for you. You're, you're a teacher from day one. As a coach, you were a teacher. You're preaching. You're a teacher, and I don't need to wish you any success because you've experienced all the success that you have now and you will in the future. As you, as you remember, the last game you played was against the Lakers, and I believe I was in that game. And I know you hit a three-pointer, but it wasn't over me. Issel still finished his career with a flourish by netting his final shot for a three-pointer. Knowing all the ups and downs that we go through, that uh, if you're not grounded in Christ, uh, with the adversity that we, we deal in our professional lives and have dealt with, it would be very, very difficult. And uh, so I think that uh, your background, the message that you bring, will be really special. Uh, Dan Issel, I want to talk to you today as uh, the head coach, your head pastor here, head of staff. Uh, we're getting ready to give the ball to you, and I want to talk to you in terms of basketball, a game, of course, that I have. Only played twice in third grade. But as being the great avid fan of your career, I just want to tell you when you're out there preaching, first of all, like you said, everybody wants to dunk or everybody wants to go for the three-pointer. Games aren't won that way. doesn't have to be great. Just get the point. Drive it up to the paint. The most important thing is call the ushers forward. Thank you. Yeah. Mark was, uh, Mark's so confident I'm going to do a good job today. He's in Johannesburg, South Africa, so that's about as far away as he could get. <laughs> I, I want to tell you a story about that, that last basket. Uh, that was the last game, ironically, that I played in the NBA. It was right here in the forum. It was a Western Conference Finals, uh, 1985. We didn't offer up much competition to the Lakers, who were marching to another NBA championship. But we did win game number four in Denver, and so that was game number five. And uh, just to tell you how lopsided the series was, we lost that fifth and final game by 44 points. And so I was sitting on the end of the bench, kind of reflecting on my 15 years, uh, as a professional basketball player, and I heard our coach, Doug Moe, call my name. And I said, well, that's, that's a mistake. He can't be calling me now. And he called it again, and I went up and he said, I want your last shot in the NBA to be a three-pointer. And so that was that grainy shot that you just saw at the forum. My last shot was a three-pointer, and uh, by the grace of God, it went in the basket. <clears throat> uh the Lakers were nice enough to give me that basketball. So I took it home and I showed it to my seven-year-old son and kind of puffed up a little bit and said, Scott, this is the ball that your dad made the very last three-pointer with. He took the ball and he looked at it and he looked up at me and he looked back at the ball and he said, You mean Magic and Kareem touched this ball? <laughs> so that that's my long-winded way of saying I know you're used to... Uh, the magic and the Kareem's being up here bringing the message, but today you have to settle for me. Um, I want to share my testimony with you today, share my story. And um, uh, a lot of my stories obviously have to do with the game of basketball. But I also want to show God's faithfulness in my walk uh, with him. Uh, Every time I hear a testimony, the most interesting testimonies, the most riveting testimonies are the ones where people are down and out and they had no place else to turn but to the Lord and, and he saved them. Now, my testimony is nothing like that. Uh, I can't—I was raised in a Christian home. I can't remember uh, not being in church and Sunday school. Uh, of course, sometimes my walk was closer to the Lord and sometimes farther away. Um, but I always knew that he was my Lord and Savior. And so that's kind of the experiences that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, if if I was starting my athletic career today, I don't think I would be uh, a basketball player. We start our youngsters so early in organized sports. I think a lot of time that's for our gratification, not so much their gratification. But... I didn't play an organized sport till I was in the seventh grade. I just changed schools, and on the bulletin board, there was a notice that said, anybody interested in trying out for the football team, report to the locker room after school. And, uh, of course, I thought being brand new, this would be a good way to make friends. So I went down. The first thing they did was hand me all this strange-looking equipment. And so by mimicking the guy in the locker next to me, I put my shoulder pads on and pulled my football pants up and We got out to the field, and the the coach said, now, men, we're going to start with the basics. Is there anybody here that doesn't know how many players play on a football team? Everybody's kind of nudging one another. Coach is a funny guy. I went home and looked it up in the encyclopedia. I had no idea how many people (laughs) played on a football team. Fortunately, uh, I was blessed to have some really good coaches in junior high and senior high who really took an interest in me, and and taught me uh, how important discipline was, how important work ethic is in, in anything that you're going to undertake in life. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I was being recruited by quite a few schools. And I had narrowed my choice down to, uh, to two, the University of Wisconsin and Northwestern. I was raised in northern Illinois. And uh, Madison, Wisconsin, which has certainly been in the news a lot lately, is surrounded by three lakes, And the University of Wisconsin had a class in water skiing, which I thought was really cool. Um, And my folks wanted me to go to Northwestern for a silly reason, like it's one of the finest academic institutions in in the United States. And I took a recruiting trip to the University of Kentucky. And... They weren't too hot on me. In fact, while I was there, I read an article in the school newspaper, and it mentioned two other players that they were more interested in in coming to the university and playing center. And so I went home not expecting to, uh, to attend there. But it really got to be a hard decision going back and forth, and that was the first time that I can remember literally getting down on my knees and saying to God, God, this is, this is bigger than me. This is an important decision. And and I need for you to be in the middle of it. And once I did that, the dominoes just started falling over. Both of those players that the University of Kentucky wanted to sign decided to go elsewhere. Uh, I, I wound up signing at the University of Kentucky. It was probably the greatest decision in my life because not only did I get to play at one of the outstanding basketball institutions in the country, at the University of Kentucky, but I also met my wife uh, Sherry there. And um, as you saw on the uh, on the video, that, by the way, was a complete surprise. I knew nothing of like that was coming uh, in the nine o'clock service. But uh, Sherry and I got married, and um, and uh, it's been a a real partnership that uh, that we have gone through together. She she hates when I do this. But, uh, in June, we will be married for 42 years, so I want her to stand up. Some of the, uh, some of the, or the best piece of advice that we got when we got married was from Dr. Dr. Marshall Leggett, who performed the ceremony. And he said, get your faith together. And I had been raised in the Lutheran Church, had been sprinkled uh, at baptism, and I decided that we should go to Sherry's church. And, and one of the uh, one of the uh, things that they want you to do is to be baptized by immersion. And so, um, on a Friday night, the pastor, Sherry and I, and Sherry's mom and dad went into the sanctuary, and he baptized me. And I was immersed and I came up and I went back to the changing room and, and put my suit back on. And the minister didn't come out and he didn't come out and he didn't come out. And uh, finally he came out with a sheepish looking, looking grin on his face. He wore waders when he did baptism so that he could quickly change his clothes. Well, because of my size, I had displaced so much water that the water came up and ran down in his waiters and he had been back in his office trying to dry his pants with a hair dryer the entire time. <laughs> uh as you saw on the screen, those of you that don't know much about basketball, uh there were two leagues back then. There was the ABA, the American Basketball Association and and the NBA. And um we went right up the road to to Louisville and played in the uh with the Kentucky Colonels. And in 1975, we won the ABA championship. And it was, as far as basketball is concerned, it was my, my greatest honor because uh, that's what you strive for. That's what you put so much work into. That's what you sweat and, and, and really pray over to, uh, to win a championship like that. And it was a great feeling. But that feeling lasted for about three months because I found out that I had been traded. And after uh, four years at the University of Kentucky and five years with the Colonels, I made the mistake of thinking they couldn't have a basketball team in, uh, in Kentucky without me being a part of it. But again, this is how God works, because a year later, I was traded to Denver. A year later, there was no ABA. A year later, there was no Kentucky Colonels. And the Denver Nuggets were one of the four ABA teams that were merged into the NBA, and I got a chance to uh, to play there for for 10 years. Never had an opportunity to to win a championship, um, but it was a great 10 years. About that time, Sherry and I had been going to a church, and we we felt like we really weren't being fed, and uh, and so we we looked around to go to to some other churches and the wife of our coach suggested Cherry Creek Presbyterian Church. And to my knowledge, I'd never been in a Presbyterian church before, didn't know anything about it. But we decided to try it one, one Sunday. And we're driving up to the church, and much like it does on Mulholland here, the traffic was way backed up. And, and I, uh, I said, I'm not sitting in this. And so Sherry said, no, no, they said this might happen. You're supposed to go over here to the high school and they'll shuttle you over to the church. So we got on this school bus, and my knees wouldn't even fit in the seat. I had to sit on the edge of the seat with my knees out in the aisle. And by the time we got there, the, the sanctuary was full, and we sat one in front of the other uh, on folding chairs in the back. And, of course, uh, that was Mark Brewer's church, and uh, we became very good friends after that. Uh, Mark left for a year to, to go to Ward uh, Presbyterian in Detroit, and when he came back, he involved uh, Sherry and I in um, one of the neatest things that we, we've we been involved with in our life, and that was starting up a new church. We started uh, with uh, two other couples and, and the Brewers, uh, Colorado Community Church, and the first Bible study that that church had, there were 44 people in a, in a basement. And the church with Mark's leadership just exploded. It wasn't long and we were in a, in a hotel, uh, ballroom. Then we moved to a, a Catholic high school sanctuary. Then we bought a building and remodeled it and made a, made a church of our own. And then wound up buying a church that was for sale. And the fourth uh, Easter Sunday that we celebrated at that church, we had five thousand people uh, in attendance. You know uh, Mark has challenged us with um, with our spiritual life for two thousand and eleven to be two plus two plus two that is he wants us to disciple two people this coming year, and it doesn 't have to you don 't have to know the the bible cover to cover maybe just sit down and have coffee or or lunch with somebody see ask how they're doing share how god is working in your life the second part of that is 2 hours of worship 1 hour here on a sunday morning 1 hour in your in your small groups as rosie said This church really believes in small groups and a way to get connected and to grow in your relationship with Christ. And the second part of that is two hours of service. And that's the hard part because there are a lot of good excuses not to get involved in that service part. Uh, But that is the real joy of being a Christian. You know... Mark's goal here is to make Los Angeles the greatest city for Christ. That's a pretty tall order to make LA the greatest. I mean, he could have picked Des Moines or someplace like that. It would have been a little bit easier. But none of this works if all of us don't get involved in the service of the Lord here at Bel Air Presbyterian Church. And you know, Mike Cooper, many of you know Mike Cooper, who had this job before I had it, and Mike set the bar pretty high here. And he gave me some great advice before he left. He said, have a one-on-one with everybody on staff. Get to know what they do here, how they're connected. Not only that, but get to know them, their personal lives, what interests them, uh, what what they like to do with their free time. And And it was great advice. Because I very quickly got to know everybody. And, you know, the, the one-on-one meetings were were different lengths. I think TJ's was the shortest. Uh, it went something like, hey, dude, how you doing? Um, I'm fine, TJ, how are you? Cool. Uh, and then he was gone. And, and And Rosie's was the longest. I think Rosie was in my office for about an hour and a half. But what I learned from meeting with the staff, and, and you have, you're blessed with a great staff here. What I learned is there, there was a common theme behind almost every story. And that was that they had come to LA to do something else. A lot of them in the entertainment business, various fields, but to be involved in something else. And God has brought them to the ministry of Bel Air. And as Mark has told you plenty of times, their job is not to do the ministry for us. That won't make L.A. the greatest city for Christ. Their job is to lay down the tracks, to give us the training, to give us the skills, so that we can go out and make a difference uh, in this community. I learned early on exactly how bright and how innovative this staff is. Shortly after I got here, Ryan Sterling, who is in our Christian discipleship department, somebody early in the morning was turning his chair over in his cubicle. Sometimes he'd come back from lunch and his chair would be turned over. So we were in chapel one Tuesday morning, and it was right after we had taken our harassment training, and, and Ryan got up and said, I myself am being harassed said, so somebody's turning my chair over, and I want to show you who it is. And he had hooked up a webcam <laughs> in his cubicle, and he played it in the sanctuary, and here came the culprit down the steps, into his cubicle, turned the chair over, and went on his way. It was me. <laughs> so, so you have a pretty bright staff here, and they are here to lay down the tracks for you. And there's, there's a lot of reasons that we don't get involved in, in the service. The first one is just the way our culture is. You know, we have people do stuff for us today. We don't mow the grass anymore like our fathers and grandfathers did. We hire a landscape service. We don't wash the, clean the pool out. We hire a pool service to take care of that. And it's always easier to have somebody else do it for us. But again, that won't work. That won't have the influence in this city that that we want to have. The second reason is, well, maybe I just don't have the talent to be able to do that. I can't play in that league. You know, I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't know theology well enough. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. All our All we're called to do is sow the seeds. It's up to God to make the harvest. We have a book up in the office, and it's uh, great church signs. You know how a lot of churches have signs out front. It gives the time of the service and the senior pastor's name, and it has a clever little saying. And my favorite in that book, is: it says, Be fishers of men. Let God clean them. And that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do here. Uh, I wish that was the, the end of my story but there's another part uh another part that i'm not very proud of but uh that i think i need to share with you this morning uh i was fortunate enough on, you saw on that one slide to coach the denver nuggets twice and the first time it was it was great we we had been the worst team in the nba for two consecutive years we had 20 wins and 24 wins So they were obviously looking for a new coach. And I had never coached on any level. Junior high, high school, college. Never coached a game. And I got a call from the general manager and he said, Have you ever thought about coaching? And I said, Coaching who? He said, Coaching the Denver Nuggets. And it started a great ride. We had terrific young men on that team who were tired of losing. They wanted to experience winning. Great Christian kids. It doesn't get a lot of notoriety in the NBA. You know, most of the bad characters get all of the press. But what you might not know is that every NBA team has a chaplain. And every NBA team has a chapel service prior to the game. 41 home games a year. So you can do it at home, you can do it on the road. And these young men, the first, first year we, we coached there, they won 36 games, an improvement of 12 games. Pretty good. The second year, we, we were about 500, and we snuck into the playoffs by the skin of our teeth. And we had to play the Seattle Supersonics, who had the best record in the NBA that year. We lost the first game by 26 points in Seattle. We lost the second game by 10 points. We went back to Denver. Their best player missed two free throws At the end of the game, and we won. We won the fourth game. Now we're getting ready to go back to Seattle for the fifth and deciding game. And I had the captains come into my office, and they said, Coach, we think there's somebody we need to take on the charter plane when we go back up to Seattle. Now, I've had uh, players ask me to take their friends and their family and their wives and their girlfriends. But the captain said, We think we need to take our chaplain to Seattle. And that was the time, kind of uh, team that was. And we won that fifth game in Seattle and advanced into the playoffs. That was the first time that a number eight seed ever beat a number one seed. Ironically, I got the chance to coach the Denver Nuggets a second time. That hardly ever happens in the NBA. And it wasn't the same story. We, had, we didn't have the same character in the locker room. We had a lot of injuries, and we never even made the playoffs again. And one night, I was leaving the court, and a Hispanic man, uh, we had lost the game by one point. One of my veteran players had missed a layup at the buzzer, and we lost the game. And a Hispanic man from the stands uh, was heckling me, and I snapped. And I cursed him. And I used uh, an ethnic slur. And the worst part about it was there was a camera right there recording everything that I said. That camera had never been there before. It had no business being there that night. And, of course, by the time I got home, it was all over the news what I had said. And, and I felt so ashamed because I let so many people down. But... The worst part about it is what a terrible commentary on my faith. What a terrible example of the way that a Christian is supposed to live. And the NBA suspended me for four games, and I spent most of that time apologizing to everybody, apologizing to the Hispanic community, and they said they forgave me. I knew that God had forgiven me. But I kept going back to wondering why that camera was there at that particular moment. And so after the four-game suspension, I quit because that wasn't what I wanted to be. That wasn't who I wanted to be. A lot of people ask me, "Do, do you miss being in the NBA? I said, yeah, I miss two things about the NBA, the first and the 15th, payday. But after I left the NBA, I kind of treaded water for a while. Uh, my life really wasn't going anyplace. I, I didn't, uh, didn't have a job that was very interesting or, or very rewarding. And that's when Mark called. And Mark asked if I would be interested in being the executive director at Bel Air. And it's been such a, a blessing in our lives the chance to work with Mark again, the chance to work with this wonderful staff. Uh, Everybody here at church has been marvelous to us. And for the first time in a long time, I get the feeling that God has me exactly where He wants me to be. And that brings us back to the verse that Rosie read earlier. And that's... um, There are are several reasons why that's my favorite verse in the Bible. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. But with praise and preparation and thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. And a peace that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I think that's a great promise. First of all, look at how different that is than what the world tells us to be. You know, the world tells us we got to be tough. It's dog eat dog out there, and can't they can't let them see you sweat. Paul tells the Philippians, "Let your gentleness be evident to all." And the second reason is, there are no promises. Go back and see. He doesn't say that. If we're Christians, we'll never have any problems. We'll always have perfect health. There won't be any uh, marital problems. There won't be any health situations. But what he says is that God will bring you peace that passes all understanding. I have that peace this morning. My prayer is you do too. Let's pray. Father, with uh, all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the promise that if uh, we are open to you coming into our lives, that you will do just that and show us the way. And Lord, now as we go out into this week, to this year, to however longer we have on this planet, may everything that we think, do and say be pleasing to you. We ask it in the name of your precious Son. Amen.